Hello and welcome to Hometown Daily Season 2, Episode 219 for August 7th, 2023, Marvelous Science Fiction Future. I am Marawat, that is hometown.com, and up above me is the AI that keeps tabs on everything. You want to say hi? Good evening, hometown citizens. Hey, look at that. Uh, visualizer matches my backgrounds again, but I need to change it up for each day of the week. What do you think? I'm, uh, I think definitely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I've got a bunch of colors selected, so it's just one of those little things. Um, we've already selected all 12 of the articles today. We're going to be talking about a hole in one that leads to an arrest in Florida, a little in and out in Mexico and California homes taking a plunge eventually. An alternate ending for Captain Shaw, a costume that breaks MCU rules. Marvel's Phase 5 trend continues. 1,300-year-old year town altars and courts. Fast food restaurant without any taste. Marvelous Disney TV shows. A data breach nearly heading to college. Gonna be preparing to be boarded. Arr and electric tank range anxiety yeah let's get into today's articles uh i was gonna have a transition but we're just gonna go straight into today's articles uh don't ask anybody the sausage is messy uh in the making so <laughs> when you try and do things last minute that's when things go haywire so Without much further ado, how about we get into the show? See, like I can, I can, I can try and trigger my transition. It's supposed to look. Uh, see how slow and messy this is. It's supposed to look like this. Hey, that's pretty classy, pretty jazzy, pretty, pretty amazing, huh? Production value through the roof. Till I wet the bed <laughs> like this. Anyway. This is a first articles in the mobile channel. Hole in one pick led to arrest of suspect in Florida country club manslaughter. According to an affidavit, Robert Edward Moore Jr. was charged after punching an 87 year old man in the face on June 28th, which eventually led to his death. Why am I talking about this on hometown? Cause it was I'm about not sure. <laughs> Cause it was about tech and society. And the fact that at a country club, which is a business, this incident would have or could have actually faded off into oblivion if the picture didn't verify that the person did X, Y, and Z and thus lead to his prosecution. So uh, we don't normally highlight this type of thing, but um, it was submitted and I thought that it was interesting, at least in this Perspective. Are we having a trend of these things where um, people commit some criminal activity and then they're out celebrating something and they get caught because of it? We had one yesterday like that. Yeah, well, the, I mean, um, sports team win. Yeah, he went to some island and <laughs> was still busted because, well, he was one of a, like, what is it? Greece's most wanted or something like that or Italy's most wanted. Italy's, yeah. Uh, Sarah Phillips over at the Hill put this article together. Um, but this is Tampa, Florida, for crying out loud. 
A 74-year-old Florida man has been arrested for manslaughter after deputies identified him from a hole-in-one photo in a local article, according to an affidavit. He's 74 and he punched an 87-year-old. I thought he was the victim. I didn't realize he was the perpetrator. Yeah. 74-year-old? Yeah, the 87-year-old man is the one that actually died because of the, the punch, apparently. You, you just don't, I mean, for crying out loud, a, a strong word might lead to an 87 year old's death. You, it's not even, you don't raise your voice at him, let alone actually make physical contact. A strong breeze might be able to end that person's shuffle off this mortal coil. The Sumter County Sheriff's Office says it responded to what was referred to as a vehicle accident in Glenview Country Club in Central Florida. See? This is why I'm talking about this, because it would have been passed on as some other type of event. Anyway, before their arrival, the victim's wife told deputies that a white male had attacked her husband after accidentally hitting another car in the parking lot. Wow. I don't know. When you're that age, just existing that long is time served. Never mind. Yikes. <laughs> <Yeah>, wow. <laughs> Hometown after dark goes dark. Uh, authorities explained in the affidavit that Moore said that he went to the front uh, porch of the restaurant to wait for police after the victim's wife stated that she was calling the cops. He never claimed he went back inside. Probably couldn't remember. Sumter County de deputies placed Moore under arrest for aggravated manslaughter of an elderly person. But released on bond. Yeah. Pretty wild. Not your usual uh, country club incident. Not your normal victim or uh, assailant, I suppose. You know, I would have believed that some hot-headed 20-something. Yeah, drunk That's off there. That's what I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> You know, maybe invert this, maybe a 47 year old that got too drunk in the country club, you know, and decided that they wanted to yell at somebody for crashing into their midlife crisis. But no, <laughs> two people that should have been idling in a cart somewhere, rocking on a porch, drinking iced tea. Trying to remember, trying to remember a bygone age. But no. One's gone. The other one is on their way to being gone. And look, neither of them are going to be golfing. Yep. Well, I guess I am. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> my, my snarky commentary is rising to the top and my filter is really down, broken right now. So there are some comments that I want to make. But, you know, somebody's passed away uh, because of somebody else assaulting them. I'm not going to. I'm, I'm going to move on. Let's go on to the next article. <laughs> my transitions are broken until tomorrow. Um, the next article is over in Hometown Daily. There's a restaurant in Mexico called... Is it in and out <laughs> That's how it's... I'm not sure how you pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
So <laughs> this title, the section's title in in the show notes is a little In and Out in Mexico. Um, there's a tie, there's a restaurant in Mexico called In and Out. It's I N I N O U T. So in in out. I don't know if that's a typo, but it's been repeated in the snippet. So I suppose that's what it really is. We'll see once we look inside this article. There has to be a picture, a sign. Anyway, it sells its own version of the double double and animal style fries. Uh, animal style anything means onions is in it, are in it, is in it, are in it. Anyway, in and out does not seem happy about it. That's the full title, by the way. There's a little additions in That's this. That's like a whole paragraph. This is an essay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the full title of this is there's a restaurant in Mexico called In and Out that sells its own version of a double double and animal style fries. In and Out does not seem happy about it. That's the title. <laughs> uh, I love businessinsider.com, but man, that title is rough. Um Lloyd Lee and Sebastian Cahill uh, are the uh, authors of this article over at Business Insider. And uh, they've got a picture. Uh, it looks wow! It, it really looks like an illustration or or something. That does the picture on their site looks surreal. Yeah, that doesn't look like it's actually in three D. That is weird for some reason. I don't How? know why. The more I look at this, the more I'm puzzled. It looks like the people are rendered in, and then the signage is kind of slapped into it. It has to be one of those weird optical illusions because of the lighting, the sunlight. It doesn't cast the right style of shadow, you know, and it makes it look surreal. Why are we focusing on that? Anyway. I know that's the real one, not the knockoff. <laughs> it is the real one, too. Yeah. Let's see if the knockoff has better shadows. <laughs> and Well, I don't see any pictures. Um, there's an Instagram thing, but... Um, the security apparatus in Omtown you know, prevents it from showing. So, um, are you curious if the name is actually in dash I dash Nout? Yes. It has been verified that it is. <laughs> <laughs> so it's in a Nout. Correct. <laughs> All right. Uh, a burger joint in Sinaloa, Mexico. Uh, looks eerily similar to in and out from the menu items to the very name and the last food chain. Okay, hold on a second. The AI has sent me an image. See, you who are outside of Omtown have the ability to go to these links that are provided in the articles, but we are... Um, we're <laughs> sorry. Uh, another citizen of Omtown has sent me the picture. And yeah... Yeah, it's in-i-nout <laughs> and precariously close in the logo to the domestic in and out. Uh, okay, well, anyway, um, so us in Omtown are protected by a, a, a Faraday cage so that we're not influenced by the external forces of things. We are a community that's built inside the wires a, a convergence of all information flowing into a nexus that's the that's where hometown is 
Hence, all data flows in and out of hometown. In and out. In it. But in, not in, in out. It's uh, <laughs> funny. Oh, that's really funny. So, uh, this uh, restaurant has its own clones of domestic in and out restaurant menu items. And apparently, um, the burger joint here is not too happy about it. According to the Burger Joint's Instagram, the eatery sells a double cheeseburger with sesame seedless buns and raw onions, as well as French fries that can be topped with melted cheese, grilled onions, and sauce that looks like In-N-Out spread, making the dish akin to animal-style fries. <laughs> so, you know what? There's something weird about the arrows, too. Yeah. Like, In-N-Out's the original has, like, a right-facing arrow, but it goes up and then down. Right. The other restaurant has like a straight across and then down toward the center arrow, which is weird. Yeah, they basically took the the in and out burger arrow and turned it 90 degrees, um, stretched it out on the short end and shortened it on the long end. <laughs> but it's still the same. It's kind of like what they're doing in Russia after everybody bailed from Russia. Um, like McDonald's is now, uh, just as tasty and that's it. Or something like that is the McDonald's replacing it. And the Starbucks was cloned into something else. And, and we had the Ikea, which was, oh, that one was good luck. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> that might be about the economy. I don't know. This is, this is really fascinating folks. I, I can't believe that there are. Oh, so I neglected. Sorry to those who are in uh, chat. If you are lurking in chat, there you go. You now have a link. It'll be in the show notes. So all my rambling is all for naught with just one click. <laughs> click that link and you'll be taken over to Business Insider where this uh, is sourced from. Um, yeah, I, I don't go to Instagram. Um, from inside hometown and uh it says that there are some differences at in in out uh customers can put bacon on their burgers or order boneless chicken wings according to the restaurant's instagram so at in and out you can't put bacon on your burgers huh i, I didn't mean maybe it's not like an order your way kind of restaurant that's great messaging though you know like uh you go up to in and out and you say i'd like it this way and they go we don't care about your way you're gonna get it our way <laughs> now pull forward by the way that two burgers is 60 dollars. thank you very much <laughs> and that's not commentary on in and out that's commentary on every on everything yeah. right now yeah um five guys somebody ordered like two double cheeseburgers and fry large fries from five guys. And it was like $65. Never mind. I'm never going to go to uh, see. I don't really like five guys anyways. I think that their stuff is too heavy. Um, but I guess get out of the way, old man, that kind of thing. Nobody can call yeah, me a boomer be saving your 65 bucks. So <laughs> that, yeah, that's true. Uh, well, I'll be spending it on sushi. Yum, sushi. Okay, well, anyway, um, 
In 2021, an In-N-Out sued a Michigan-based chain Dolan Burgers, claiming it copied the overall look of its uh, restaurants, the Daily Telegram reported. Dolan Burgers featured white, red, and yellow color scheme, according to the report. This being thrown in there, it seems like it's informing about how litigious In-N-Out is. But in this, I think it would be a little bit, eh, you know, and it's, nobody's going to figure out you know, nobody's going to assume that Dolan Burgers is in and out, you know, uh, in a dress or something, you know, it's not going to be, oh gosh, it's so confusingly similar now, but in and out is using the same products, the same logo, the same color scheme, everything. The only difference is that it's in Mexico. So uh, yeah, I think that's the difference. The look, they it looks like they sued another restaurant, too, that, again, is not chatters. clearly an issue. Yeah. Including uh, similarities the two burger joints shared, including the menu. So, I mean, it, it seems like In-N-Out is in and out of the courtroom pretty damn often. So, um, having had In-N-Out, I think that they're good, but they're not litigious good. You know, uh, like, I would not clone them. Um, I would do my own thing. Because this type of attention is the worst possible attention. Yeah, if I get a whole bunch of people talking about me because my burgers are precariously close to in and out, that's fine. But if my marketing, my messaging, my image, my trade dress is confusingly similar to in and out and my food looks like in and out, that's when you get the attention of the corporation. And you don't want that because their customers are funding your litigation. You're going to, you're going to be buried because they've got all of the momentum you are aspiring and trading on. That's called trading on the goodwill of another company. So carve your own path because somebody's going to come and cook your burger if you get too close to them. Okay, let's keep on going to the next. Uh, okay, right here. There's supposed to be a transition. <laughs> oh God, that's going to end me up in court because I'm doing the thing like, uh, that's from something. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, what you call it? The movie. Oh man. Where they start out in the basement. Oh man. I'm losing my nerd card. Okay. Well, anyway, hometown daily is where the next article is. California waves threatened to plunge homes into the ocean um, from whence they came. So shall they return? Uh, the title of this section is California homes taking a plunge. Eventually um, a new study revealed that California waves have grown by a foot over the past 50 years. This is something that has been discussed in hometown um, over the last several weeks, but we've never really bothered to talk about this aspect of it. Uh, but this one is was pithy enough that I thought, eh, this would be a fun discussion. Eh, we'll make it short because we've got nine other articles after this. Um, Anna Skinner over at Newsweek.com. Um, this is all climate change related, folks. You know, the anthropomorphic uh, impact of uh, humans on the weather. That's the anthropo anthropo anthropogenic um, changes to our climate are caused by us burning fossil fuels and throwing chemicals all over the place, blah, 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 right? Me soapboxing and virtue signaling and all of that kind of stuff. 
which I think is a weird argument when somebody has actually said that to me. Yeah, you're virtue signaling. No, I, I, I'm trying to message to people that we're destroying the ecosystem and we kind of need to breathe this air and drink that water and and get food from the ocean and water the land so that you see how everything is a big circle, it's a right? Bit overrated, don't you think? <laughs> hey, uh, hometown citizen out there that um, likes to tease that it's a flat disc, right? The 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 world uh, the world is a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Smashing pumpkins. So, no, we're trying to save the ecosystem. We're trying to save the planet. Anyway, we're doing all of this stuff and melting ice caps and all. And then somebody will come to me and say, well, you know, it snowed in Germany. Yeah, it snowed in Germany in summer. It's not supposed to do that. Well, global cooling is happening 50 years ago. Yeah, no, that's not quite right. And there were a bunch of scientists that miscalculated their research, and that has already been debunked. Yeah, but over here, all the weather is... No, no. Somebody's local weather is not endemic to climate change. It just happens to be good weather at that particular moment. Go look at the preponderance of evidence. Ocean temperatures are increasing. The water should not be over 101 degrees off the coast of Florida. Hmm. Shouldn't be 110 in Arizona for months at a time. Um, all kinds of stuff, right? And now we have water levels rising, which everybody's been warned about. <laughs> Um, this might actually, the video might actually have something in it. I don't know. Um, their videos are hit or miss. This one actually seems to be apropos for the topic. Yeah, see that. It is, but I don't know if it's actually showing California, but at least it relates. Hey, crazy cat lady. Welcome to the show. And you know, I would really like it if Twitch would tell me when people are actually hanging out in the chat. That would be great. I would welcome you sooner. Um, so the... I just went to a chart that showed the number of recorded natural disasters. And of course it shows exactly what you'd expect, right? It's kind of constant, constant. And then it starts going up and up and up and up. I mean, it's just way up since around 2000. It's above 400 compared to like a small number in the 1900s. So yeah. Uh, but it's been increasing since the industrial age started. Yes. Um, Crazy Cat Lady says the cactus in uh, Arizona are falling over from the drought. Well, Joshua Tree uh, as well is suffering and the, they may not return because they're being wiped out from the heat and from fires. Um, something that hasn't happened there to this scale. And I think they said something like, 50 years was the last event that was even worth mentioning houses in alaska were being swept down by uh, the river yeah that was another that's an article that was over in hometown um, we didn't really highlight it um but because of the glacial glacial runoff um it started um wiping out homes in alaska and you're like wait there's 
streams that big in Alaska that would be overflowing? How how does that work? Well, with that much melt, I suppose. Yeah. So, uh, climate change is intensifying. Severe weather events such as storms in the North Pacific, the resulting waves, primarily those occurring in the winter, have gained a foot in height uh, over the last 50 years, according to a new study. You might think, oh, it's 50 years, but that is less than a person's lifetime. Um, now start expounding upon that. That's what the research is showing is going to continue to happen. Rising sea levels means that that foot in height, it could remain a foot in height, but the ocean itself is rising. So a foot makes a huge difference about where it's going to land on the beach. Um, anyway, they published a new study in the journal of geophysical research oceans on August 1st. Um, a, a growing, the growing waves add to the impact, har har, the impact of rising sea levels posing a threat to homes built along California's coast as erosion takes hold. The findings detailed in uh, the research of Peter Bromersky, uh, an oceanographer at California uh, University of California, San Diego. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it'll be better waves, right? <laughs> Well, sure, but I'm not sure uh, it's better waves. But if your beach house has gone into the sea, I don't know that it matters. Hey, and the insurance companies are no longer even covering natural disasters in California like that. Uh, because you knew going in that the ocean was going to come and take your house. And even though you've been paying insurance for decades to keep yourself out of trouble, should a natural disaster occur... Well, not anymore because they're bowing out because <laughs> it's not profitable to cover things that they know are coming. <laughs> exactly. The risk calculation is like 100% certainty. Your yep. house is going to fall into the sea. We're not covering that. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, and the next thing that's going to happen is they're not going to insure people because they know that they're going to die. So you just keep on paying us, but we're not going to cover you. Because we know well, that is true. That is a guarantee. It's just a matter of when. <sighs> okay. So again, this is the last time I'm going to joke about this, but my transitions aren't working. So I'm just going to go on to the next article. Um, so this next article is a new edition. We're throwing it into a new section. It's been here. It just hasn't been um, really amplified by news. Uh, but Temporology is a, a show that's about it's uh, supposed to be focused on the science and science fiction of time and time travel. I'm very interested in this kind of stuff. Um, it's a lot of fun um, to, to discuss it, uh, particularly when it comes to things like uh, Star Trek and um, uh, movies like uh, Primer or Primer, depending on <laughs> how you say the word. Um, but uh, it, it's a fascinating uh, topic because temporology actually exists as a field of research. Um, it was brought into existence by Russian researchers and has since spawned into an actual domain long-term um, where there are people that are doing research into it. Um, and one of those things that people have done research in is the perception of time. Um, and so you can be trained to perceive time um, at a greater fidelity than somebody else. 
So if you're a gamer, you perceive things with greater fidelity and it's akin to slowing down time because you observe more. Fighter pilots do and the I same guess thing. And you can um, move more quickly. Correct. Yep. Act more quickly, I guess. Yeah. And it's a form of time travel, although you're not you know, slowing down or speeding up time, your perception of the distance between one segment of time and another um, has been stretched out by your training. It's pretty neat when you go uh, researching it. So it says, uh, but in this article, they're talking about Star Trek. Picard's Terry Matalus, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, um, shares alternate version of Captain Shaw's last scene. Uh, in the third season of Star Trek Picard, we were introduced to Liam Shaw. A lot of people did not like Shaw. But then as the show went on, people go, oh, Shaw might actually be a nice guy. Um, and then at the very end, you find out that he's pretty cool. Although, eh, something happens with him. I don't want to ruin it. Anyway, the leader of the USS Titan played... Uh, by 12 Monkeys alum Todd Stashwick. Um, Shaw's irascible demeanor and disdain for all the shenanigans that Picard and Riker wanted to do with his ship quickly made him a fan favorite. His last scene was a memorable one, but showrunner Terry, Terry Matalas um, just released an alternate version. I have not seen this. Um, so uh, this is Shaw and uh, talking to Seven of Nine. Uh, Vanessa Armstrong is the author of the article over at Tor.com, uh, which is a new addition um, to our aggregation process. Uh, and uh, the big difference occurs when audio is on. Shaw says to Seven of Nine with his dying breath, don't touch my stuff as he bequeaths the ship to her. Um, it's a note of levity and an otherwise sad scene. Shaw finally calls Seven Seven. Um, he kept on referring to her as her human name or given name. Um, so it's understandable why this never made uh, the final version. Um, in the in the real scene, he actually refers to her as Seven. Anyway, um, I thought that it was an okay ending uh, to Star Trek Picard. Um, Except Picard shouldn't have ended, but yes. Yeah, there you go. I was just about to say, and yeah, and I agree with the AI that Picard should not have ended. There was ample opportunity to grow and do much more world building because ultimately we don't, there wasn't really a final end. I mean, there was and there wasn't because the ultimately the, the rest of the, unless every bad guy, and but there was a there was senior leadership that was controlling so uh, there's, there's clearly going to be a spin-off or something there has to be more there right so and hopefully I, picard will make guest appearances or something yeah well now we're back to temporology because he's going to need a time machine um there you know what they need to use AI scanner to just scan him and use him virtually so he can go and enjoy. Um, anyway, I love the world building in Star Trek. Um, they could do alternate realities until the cows come home. Um, and it would still be fun. 
as long as they one of the things that really becomes a jump the shark moment is when they start bringing in uh people who are main streamers in the or what do you mainstays in the world building right like picard having a kid right um this the moment that you start turning the main players into parents um i i think that the viewership goes jump the shark and every time this happens that's exactly what happens and when you talk to somebody about star trek the episodes where there is in all versions of star trek the episodes that have a young child baby something like that in the series nobody likes those episodes they're like why is this person in there um you know why did they do that um hopefully you know they don't unless society starts accepting that you know but kids on a battleship it just doesn't really and it's not really a battleship but it's capable of conflict well and are you watching a show like star trek so you can learn parenting or are you watching it for battle scenes or whatever yeah and they threaded this needle um several times in uh, the next generation and voyager and all of that they Although Next Generation had um, child actors in it from time to time. Anyway, nowadays, Star Trek is really dark, (laughs) very brutalistic. um, So I don't think that this is going to to really happen. But I just think I wanted to make a discussion point of this. Please don't jump the shark by bringing kids into the... (laughs) Leave it a leave it an animated series and they even canceled the animated series that had uh, kids running uh, a starship yeah crazy cat lady says that they've never seen an episode of star trek well why not come on it's real easy nowadays all you have to do is mash a button and you can watch an episode Hmm. Which series would you recommend starting with? For yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go with that. Um, see, I really like Next Generation. Um, it had a pretty broad spectrum of personalities. Um, Deep Space Nine was conflict driven on the edge of um, the Federation. It was instantly in a in a border war. Um, and every time I say this, I start chuckling because it's the Cardassians, not the Kardashians. So it's completely different uh, alien force. Um, so uh, the original series is uh, really far back. You might not really like the the uh, the resolution of the episodes on today's higher resolution screens. It's letterboxed or it's scrunched up on the sides. I can't remember what that one is called. Anyway, the 4-3 ratio just kind of makes you go, ugh, and it's lower resolution. Yeah, I was actually thinking of starting with something like Picard. It's modern. It's compelling. But it's built off of the historical context. It is. But if you like it, you can go back and watch the other series. Yeah, that's true. I I don't know. There, I, I don't think that there are any really, really bad ones um, in... Uh, the next generation um voyager 
has a female uh, captain um, perpetually threatens to blow up the ship as a negotiation tactic. Um, but other than that, oh, and uh, regresses to being a lizard and has a kid with her number one. Um, they both they both got turned into lizards um, and then reverted back to their modern human form. Yeah, hey, you do. There you go. That's the one for you, Crazy Cat Lady. Look that one up where uh, <laughs> Voyager Captain gets turned into a lizard. All right. Let's just, you know what? <clears throat> We're just going to pretend that we saw a UFO and move on. Uh, the next uh, article is over in the continuity report. Captain America's new costume breaks an MCU rule that's only been uh, two years old. Captain America's new costume breaks a recent MCU rule, though it may become a significant plot point in Amer Captain America Brave New World. Uh, as seen in Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Vibranium has become a significant point of geopolitical tension in the current MCU. Nobody is supposed to have it except Wakandans. Um, while this helps explain the fate of Riri Williams' armor at the end of the movie, it, re it creates confusion as it relates to Sam Wilson's new threads, which is a vibranium-infused or maybe reinforced like that, these parts here and his wings and whatever else, um, a vibranium suit. Um, and, and really the only one that's supposed to have vibranium stuff are Wakandans. Um, the deck statement here uh, at ScreenRant.com, written by Kevin Erdman, uh, says the new uh, the new suit Captain America receives in Falcon and the Winter Soldier breaks a recent MCU rule, and it could be a significant plot point in uh, Captain America 4. Um, so he gets given uh, Captain America's shield to become the new Captain America. Um, but he also flies. He has wings. Um, let me pause this. Because, oh my gosh, sorry. That's really bad to freeze on. Let me close this. Sorry about that. Hey, take care, crazy cat lady. And good luck. Hope everything turns out okay. Um, so this this armor um, isn't supposed to be given to anybody outside of Wakanda. Uh, but there you have it. So that's violating the rule right then and there. <clears throat> Combined with iconic vibranium shield he inherited from Steve Rogers, Sam Wilson has committed to protecting the American people while wearing and wielding a highly coveted, coveted and very rare resource. In light of Wakanda Forever, it seems Captain America is a notable exception when it comes to who and who hasn't been allowed to have vibranium in the MCU. Um, and uh, the, the article continues to talk about, did I throw this? I didn't throw this into the chat. Sorry about it. Um, there you go. And there you go. Uh, for those of you who are listening to this via the podcast, I'm just throwing links into the chat that's at uh, twitch.tv slash hometown so that hometown citizens can follow the links while we're talking about it. Because we don't go over every single aspect of an article and our, our reaction is live. So this is the first time we're reading these articles. Um, although we, the AI and I typically have some experience with aspects of all of the articles, it seems. Um, 
So as a result, Riri supported the Wakandans in their uh, battle against Namor and the undersea people of uh, Talakon wearing her all-new vibranium armor and then following Shuri's defeat uh, of Namor and the uneasy alliance formed between the two nations, the armor was kept with Riri not being allowed to take her suit back to MIT. Because um, that's where she's going to study, I guess. Um, I don't know what the rest of the world building is going to be like uh, because this material is <laughs> the the MCU equivalent of magic. Uh, it's it's technology, um, but it, it's such a sophisticated piece of technology that it appears like magic. Uh, all nearly indestructible um, can be worked and and included into like computing and armor, clothing, weapons, um, buildings, all kinds of stuff. Uh, basically, it's like a, a super material, which makes sense it's for super powered people. Anyway, um, where this ends up, I don't know. But it's going to play, I believe, a, a pivotal role in Captain America Brave New World. Um, what's really interesting is not this, but the following articles that we're going to be talking about that involve uh, Marvel. That's why today's uh, episode is titled Marvelous Science Fiction Future. Um, I love all of this stuff. You have to suspend disbelief, obviously. Um, there isn't much more to the article. Um, but if you go over there, you'll be able to suss out, you know, even more uh, details and follow some links that are embedded in the article itself, like a link to Shuri's lab to perfect her iron heart armor. Um, she reverse engineered um, the um, Iron Man suits. So um, pretty cool. I can't wait for the rest of these um, to keep going. And uh, we're moving into phase five. So let's talk about that um so this next article is actually titled marvel's phase five i hit the wrong button um, marvel's phase five continues the weirdest mcu trend you probably missed anyone want to take a stab at it i don't know if there are people lurking and want to be drawn out in chat uh, twitch doesn't really tell me the real numbers of anything um until much much farther after the show is done um but there have been trends in MCU movies and TV shows. And it's really fascinating because I don't really pay attention to that. I'm the, I'm here. Well, I should say before the continuity report and the idea of going through a show with a, a greater critical mind and eyes, you know, focused on finding things to, to discuss, um, I would normally just watch the show and the, the fine details, uh, you know, I might miss until I watch it again. And then you go, oh, my God, did you see that? And, and then everybody starts freaking out that, oh, I can't believe we missed that, you know, five years ago. Well, the MCU keeps finding new ways to include an oddly specific trend that has been hidden in several movies and shows. Never has the MCU been more varied in the multiverse saga, uh, which has featured anything from birthing celestials and underwater civilizations to multi uh, multiversal universal um, battles and fourth wall breaks. 
Yet certain elements keep popping up across the franchise and some are harder to pinpoint than others. Like, did you know that throughout one of the phases, people kept getting their arms cut off? <laughs> no, I had no idea. Now, I think part of that's because I see one movie. Gotcha. Like, I don't watch them back to back. Yeah. And there might be spread out in time, et cetera. But um, no, I had no idea. Yeah, we'll have to do a deep dive. I'll have to send the AI into... Uh, a room, a virtual room, so they can look at and uh, watch all of the Marvel movies. Um, well, that's the other thing. I haven't seen all of them. But... Yeah, we'll have to get you in there. So Nicholas Ayala uh, over at uh, ScreenRant.com uh, put this article together. The deck statement says, Phase 5 Secret Invasion repeats an oddly specific trend that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been hiding in plain sight for several years. Um. So they have a summary, which I really appreciate. Um, the MCU has hidden a trend of featuring museums in many of its movies and shows, adding a subtle but effective backdrop for intimate and suspenseful scenes. This is really interesting because I've seen quite a bit of stuff. Everything okay? Yes, I was just checking on something in hometown. Gotcha. Um, and see, I get alerts from the AI from time to time, um, and I uh, had to address it just now. Sorry about that. Anyway, um, the uh, MCU has been featuring museums, which until they um, spelled it out in this article, uh, I've always noticed, but <laughs> I didn't know that it was going to be a thing. Um well, it's a thing. Museums serve as a way to inform characters' personalities, showcasing heroes as well-educated intellectuals before their battles in the MCU. The presence of museums in the MCU is likely to continue in future movies and shows, further solidifying its role as a significant setting within the franchise. So they've been... So I think Moon Knight had the most... Um, and I don't even know if that's counted in this phase. Like That seemed to have the most prevalent uh, museum theme that I can think of. But it's been threading through all of them. Um, so some noticeable MCU trends include the overabundance of nanotech suits and unlikely resurrections. A sneakier trend hidden in the MCU is all phase two movies feature a character losing an arm. <laughs> uh, that's just, I mean, the show does cost an arm and a leg, but um which isn't as evident as it sounds as every character who lost an arm in the infinity saga did so in very different ways. Likewise, the MCU has repeatedly featured specific setting for years and it doesn't seem like it'll be stopping anytime soon. So secret invasion continues MCU's museum obsession. So there was a museum setting for that. Um, winter soldier had Smithsonian institution, um, Falcon and the winter soldier, um, uh, also had, uh, the Smithsonian institution, right? Yeah. And, um, Oh, they mentioned Moon Knight. <laughs> uh, Black Panther had a fictional museum of Great Britain. Um, Spider-Man was at uh, Da Vinci Museum in Italy, uh, Jewel House in London, um, and Museum of Modern Art in Avengers Infinity War. And then phase four had Eternals. 
um, where uh, Moon Knight was the Museum of Fine Arts in Budapest and uh, London's National Art Gallery. I mean, this is really fascinating. I think it's pretty cool, but oh, and they talk about National Portrait Gallery where Talos stabbed Gravik's hand. Um, so why so many museums? It might be because they want to show that it's a, a, a well-educated intellectual before they end up killing a bunch of people. <coughs> um, or their public space is relatively inexpensive to use as a set um, to move along and to show off some element um, of history and prehistory um, that has been documented you know discovered some ancient artifact like what's about to take place in this scene um there are artifacts that um in one uh movie and i can't remember which one it, it, it's moon knight um they break a, in to steal a spear and um there's a bunch of stuff that uh, in all of the movies kind of gets amplified the plot moves forward because some researcher has done something that involves a relic that was found in a cave or in a pyramid or something somewhere anomalous. Um, and I, I think it's fine, but I, I didn't really pay attention to this kind of thing because I would never have really put together, you know, this trend um, of, uh, locations, but it's cool when people, uh, discover these things and then start talking about them. But now I'm going to end up talking about this, uh, because it's going to be like, a um, what do they call that? Uh, an ear when you get like a, like some, an earworm. Yeah. Where something gets stuck in your, uh, head, like a song or right, something. Right Now you can't watch a Marvel movie without being like, which trend is this? And now do I need to watch the movie that came before or after it? Yeah. It's like buying a car and suddenly everybody has the same model car as you. You've been triggered and now you'll not be able to think about anything other than baby shark. Now that I said it. Okay. Let's go on to the next article. Uh, the next article is over in hometown daily lost 1300 year old town with altars and, and ball game courts were discovered. It's weird that they say the phrase ball game courts and not just courts. Um, I guess there are different types of courts, but this is for our ball game. Does that sound just weird to you too? To say ball game courts is like the really sports odd, ball. Unless it's a source that's from it's Newsweek. outside the U S and no, Newsweek no, could be any anywhere. Yeah. The site features 26 minor mounds arranged around a larger central mound that stands more than 80 feet high. I love stuff like this. I love this stuff. There is so much of human history that we just don't know about. And we think that we've done, you know, such great stuff, but we really do need to know where we come from. And unfortunately, some of these discoveries are in locations where the uh, there's hostility. And I understand why there's hostility. Um, we can't get past our history and, and 
realize that we're all human and stuck on this rock together and only through working together are we going to be able to advance mankind person kind um and uh and yet amplify that by the fact that everybody thinks that they've got the right way to steer the ship i think being transparent and embracing of all people is the best way and creating opportunity and equity and inclusion is the best way not every country in leadership believes that kind of stuff uh it's weird but okay aristos giorgio over at newsweek.com put this article together there's no deck statement so i can't really summarize this other than the fact that there is a settlement which is located on communal land it's spread out over roughly 29 hectares or 72 acres according to the inah which is the national mexico's national institute of anthropology and history not in eh, nout sorry oh i Just, thought you were going toward nih or something <laughs> not the in and out in and out in and out man you have to go back scroll back uh in the video and you'll see the article about in and out they have nothing to do with this archaeological dig but except they are maybe in the same country that's why i brought it all up <laughs> um, maybe archaeologists go there um archaeologists decided right, to investigate after a long day of digging they go for the animal in, style burger out. but whatever the in and out version <laughs> see you can't say it without saying in can't and out yeah i mean that's why somebody's going to end up being sued but are they able to sue in mexico i mean if they have a legal presence i guess we I do guess have they, trade yeah, i don't know if they have a presence i have no idea but we have no, trade agreements please. so it has to be part of the um uh what you call it north american free trade agreement you know, we it all follow be. each other's intellectual property rules. It would have to be part of that, but I don't know. I often uh, walk into a room of people and say, NAFTA, discuss, and then walk back out. So I don't know <laughs> if anybody has actually uh, done that yet. We'll see. Um, so archaeologists decided to investigate the patch of land after locals alerted them to the existence of several mounds, likely of pre-Hispanic origin, at the location. And this, is, I guess, is what it looks like. Man, I love this stuff. Um, but it seems like a lot of countries are protective of it because they don't want to change the dynamic of who actually owned historically this land. Um, who the peoples were, if they were displaced by modern peoples uh, or by, uh, you know, the equivalent of conquistadors, um, et cetera, et cetera, you know. And, and I understand that threat because uh, even today there are people that say, well, you know, this land is owned by these pre-people, um, and then when you do research into this, you find out that those people actually took the land from somebody else. And before then there's something else. And if you dig down deep enough, you find people that were, um, you know, even older there, etc. cetera. Um, and so who is the real owner of land? 
I, I don't know. I have a hard time um, saying let's peg it to this when really it's who owns it in modern time. Um, let's just move forward and be prosperous together. But you being prosperous means that somebody else can't be apparently. Did you find something AI? Well, I did, but it's on the the in and out <laughs> oh. aspect. Like it doesn't look like they have Mexican locations, but it does look like NAFTA has some trademark and other intellectual property um, protections, but I haven't gotten into enough of it to really get the nuance. Gotcha. Yeah. The, the, it's probably pretty sophisticated to align it with uh, every party's um, IP rules. So the minor mounds are arranged around a larger central mound that stands about 82 feet high with a base measuring 241 by 197 feet. I can't translate that into uh, metric, but uh, it's somewhere around there by somewhere around there. Um, archaeologists identified structures uh, such as altars and others associated with storage of water at the site, which lies at a strategic location close to the eastern bank of the Tecpan River, as well as the uh, Tetelon Lagoon. This is pretty cool stuff. You know, I would love to go and and uh, dig all of this up and reveal it and do the and do research and stuff like that. But a couple of things trouble me. Um, maybe there's some hostile people that don't want anybody digging around over there. Um, and nature wants to kill me pretty much on the regular. So uh, I once did something in Florida and when I opened up my hotel room door, um, there was an alligator there that wanted to eat me. It looked at me and it said, yum. And I don't think it's because I'm really good looking. I, I think that it thought that I was tasty. So I just closed the door and I said, I'm going to be late. Um, based on analysis of historical sources from the 16th century, the site could correspond to the settlement of the, uh, Appen <laughs> Selican, I guess, or Apis, I don't know how to pronounce it. Apicelican. Uh, one of the I N A H archeologists, Rodolfo Lobato Rodriguez said, so, um, Appenselican is referenced on plate 18 of the 16th century manuscript known as the Matricula de Tributos. Um, the manuscript was produced shortly after the Spanish conquest of Mexico and records the tributes paid by the, uh, conquered settlements to the Aztec empire. Wow. So conquered 1492 to 1502, um, AD, not that far back. I was expecting much further. Um, I mean, it's still really cool, but it's not what I was expecting. And that's what it looks like. I mean, it looks like it's just been covered over by something, right? By dirt, by nature. How does that yeah, happen? Absolutely. That's what, this is what I don't understand. How does something get covered over if, if all of society just bows out, right? Of a given region, how does three feet of dirt suddenly appear on top of 84 or 82 foot high construction 
How does that happen? I don't think anybody's ever explained it to me when I've asked. They just go, ah, oh, it's nature. What are you talking about? It's just nature. <laughs> All right. Why don't people's houses get covered in that, for example, or whatever? Yeah. I'm not climbing up on the roof and sweeping off dust every other week. Oh, you know, in 400 years, this is going to be covered up. So I better sweep off the dust now because if it gets too thick. Uh huh. I don't know. I love being on the precipice of complete ignorance of this because I ask these questions and, and I get to say these snarky things, but then somebody's going to come along and try and describe like, this is how it works. And it, it's conjecture. There's no way that anybody knows that 400 years of sedimentation from where, um, is going to lead to covering up monuments from history. Anyway, there's gotta be something more there. I just don't know what they are. Okay. So let's continue on to the next article. We're about halfway through, um, our shoe. Actually, I have to back up a little bit and grab that article right there and throw it into chat so that y'all have links in the VOD, but we're going to go on to the next article. Um, and here's the fast food restaurant with no taste. Fast food restaurant sparks outrage with Anne Frank burger and Hitler fries. This is in the mobile channel. A fast food restaurant has proved tasteless. I hadn't even read this. They made the same joke. Ha. I don't know if that's just low hanging fruit or what, but anyway, a fast food restaurant has proved tasteless after allowing customers to add the Adolf cheese and bacon covered French fries as a side to their Anna Frank hamburger in Argentina. Oh, Argentina. So the historical context of Argentina is that a lot of Nazis fled Germany and went to Argentina. Um, so this leaning into this is just fascinating, fascinating cultural reference. I mean, it's shocking to hear, but knowing the context of it, not surprised. Right. But it probably makes it worse. I mean, it's really, really awful. It, it absolutely is. I mean, it, it's absolutely awful. Honky Donkey, a local eatery in the small town of Rafaela in the Santa Fe province, offered the two options on their uh, menu, along with others named after Mongolian uh, Kagan, um, Genghis Khan, misspelled as Genghis, uh, G-E-N-G-I-S, um, Chinese communist revolutionary Mao Zedong, and uh, World War II era Italian fascist leader and Hitler ally Benito Mussolini. So basically leaning into fascism across the board. Um, th this is a form of culinary hero worship, I suppose. And somehow easily attained completely tasteless menu. Uh, it's, it's really fascinating. Now, I wonder if they're just doing this to see how far their viral reach is. Um, but vice.com uh, put this article up. Nathaniel Genowitz is the uh, author of this. The eatery in Argentina offered the Adolf cheese and bacon covered French fries as a side to their Anna Frank 
uh, hamburger. Um, this is not the, the food. This is just a Getty image, which, you know, I really don't like that, you know, <laughs> cause it takes, it, it takes messaging to distance yourself from the implication that this is a photo of the product that they're talking about. Um, but it's not, this has nothing to do with it. So I hate pictures in articles for pictures sake, just to get people to keep on scrolling because like in hometown, all it is is text except for the thumbnail. Um, once you go into an articles snippet, you're not getting photos from the provider of the articles, um, because I don't want fluff. I want all the news, none of the noise. Um, but then again, Hey, you know, these people are getting thousands of readers. So uh, public outrage began after the Raphael, a Jewish community Facebook page posted on August 1st to quote, express its most heartfelt disapproval and in indignation end quote of the menu asking that honky donkey remove. I, just saying honky donkey sounds racist and tasteless remove items related to the Holocaust, specifically those referencing Hitler, Mussolini and Anne Frank, um, Ariel Rosenthal, a representative of the Raffaella Jew, uh, Jewish community told local media that they first learned of the disturbing marketing campaign in March and that they spoke with the owners who said that they would remove the many choices, but they didn't quote. We do not understand the delay in doing it. Um, yeah, it's pretty obvious that they're trying to capitalize on the outrage because no press is bad press until the community starts shutting that shit down entirely, just bows out of going to them. Um, and while a lot of people, um, what do they call it? Um, when they, when they stop, when they try and, um, canceling, but, so cancel culture. Yeah. When, when somebody starts throwing around cancel culture, it isn't cancel culture folks. What it is is society saying that they don't accept that shit. Um, and it isn't canceling you. It's you are on the wrong side of society <laughs> and, and it would happen in the micro if the community found out about it before the rest of the world did and actually stepped up to the plate. Then it becomes macro and it suddenly becomes cancel culture. That's not what it is. It's the local community saying you suck as a human being and you shouldn't be doing what you are doing. Um, that's essentially what a whole large group of people working together to tell you in a single loud voice, you suck. This sucks. Argentina has a sort of history with Nazi Germany, where many former leaders of the third Reich fled after their defeat. It's alleged that members of the Argentine government actively facilitated escape routes for some ex Nazi officials who would either stay in Argentina or fan out to other countries in the Americas, most significant neighbors like Paraguay and Brazil. Um, uh, I don't even want to go into the, and, and basically they brought a ton of wealth, uh, with them in, in the form of gold and, 
other valuables that they would leverage to be able to stay in their host countries um, because everybody else would have buried them before they even got across the you know, lawn to their house um, and still people are out there hunting down these Nazis um, who did horrible things to people um, some of which even said well I was just doing a job no you're you suck as a human being um, and the article again says something that is happening everywhere and here in America Nazi ideology remained a simmering undercurrent in some of the areas of the South of America um, and it's gained popularity in recent years why because wing nuts are all converging together and isolated well not isolated public beyond the direct impact of local society and by unifying their voice online they can say and do things to other people without society slapping them down saying you are a horrible person you need to change your ways and we've had conflicts over this again and again we learn the worst lessons from this anyway um, there continues to be a sort of nazi glorification by some subsects of population in countries across latin america and the u.s and uh, eastern countries and western uh, european countries and pretty much everywhere there's nationalists uh, xenophobic racist etc wingnut um, extremism everywhere from uh, people that are uh, extreme is liberal to extreme is conservative to religious fanatics all just everything I mean there's always somebody that when you hear the phrase one bad apple it's one bad apple spoils the bunch it's that's the bad part those people are why we have why we can't have nice things Anyway, I'm not going to go uh, beyond that with this uh, unless the AI has anything to say. No. No, I just, I do not understand this. Sure, they're going viral, but why anybody thinks this is a good idea? Nobody would have heard of this. come up with this idea. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody would have heard of this organization until this. Um and they even said that they would have removed it, but somewhere along the lines, they caught traction and now they're not going to remove it until the local society. And this is what I say about a lot of things, you know, some other country can't step in and solve the problems of the host country. That country has to solve their own problems because although, you know, some other country can come in and act as a police force to support whatever infrastructure is in place ultimately it is the it is the 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 local culture spiritual culture intellectual culture it is the holistic culture of that country that population in micro and macro sizes um, pockets all throughout that need to change for change to um, take place and you have complete goobers like bush that go well they will sit there and support us and chant our name and uh, you know they will love us for 
charging in and invading their country. No, you're not going to change their hearts and minds by blowing them up. Um, there was a game 30 years ago where the whole ideology was to use military forces to stop a conflict. But every time you dropped a bomb somewhere, it created uh, more enemies because the, um, the collateral damage would harm, although you would get your target, you would kill a person that was, um, that had brothers and sisters and parents and cousins and uncles and whatever. And so those people would be pissed off at you and try to do you harm. And all it would do, you'd keep on trying. I mean, it was just a brilliant message. You know, you, you try and do this. Um, now there is another message in there. I won't talk about it here, but, um, there's a message in that exercise. And, uh, a lot of countries seem to have that wrong message. Um, anyway, you want to continue on with the next article? No, that sounds good. Okay. So the next article is over in the continuity report. We're going to get a little bit lighter here. Um, all 12 upcoming Marvel Studios, uh, Disney Plus TV shows and um, Screen Rant yet again. Um, this is one of the um, sources that focuses on TV shows and movies. Um, and they got all 12 Marvel Studios, Disney Plus TV shows here lined up. And I'm looking forward to all of them um, with varying levels of uh, um, so <laughs> my, my, my squee meter is, uh, going to scale, man, that, that, that commercial for evil dead is too freaky for hometown. Anyway, here's a complete list of every confirmed movie, Marvel studios, TV show coming to Disney plus my brain had to slow down a little bit there. So I am Groot season two. I haven't even seen I am Groot season one. Um, mainly because I like I am Groot in the movies. Um, not this little side thing. It might be canon, but um, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's too cutesy for me, I suppose. Um, Loki season two, looking forward to that. I want to see what happens. Um, this will be really exciting. It's going to be released October 6th. Um, Echo which is a, a new addition to the MCU. Um, Echo is a deaf superhero from Marvel Comics who can mimic other people's body movements. Both Hawkeye, a Disney Plus TV show, and her original comic appearances, Echo starts out as an antagonist and transitions to be more of an anti-hero, cum superhero. Um, additionally, Echo has ties to Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin, um, who will once more reappear in the standalone series. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll end up talking about um, Kingpin in the future. X-Men 97 revisiting uh, the historical context of X-Men late 2023. It says that it was announced uh, one non MCU show as part of uh, Disney plus uh, Disney plus day, 2021 X-Men 97. The series plans to revisit X-Men, the animated series. Um, a what if season two, uh, that's supposed to come late 2023 daredevil born again. Um, they're going to try and resurrect daredevil. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm interested in this just to see what they do. Um, but I'm, 
Daredevil isn't one of the MCU characters that uh, draws me in. Um, this one though, this is the one that I'm really excited about. Um, mainly because of um, Catherine Hahn's appearance in WandaVision completely stole WandaVision. Um, I absolutely love the world building around Agatha House of Harkness. Um, and it's supposed to come um, in 2024, which is not soon enough. Um, so this is going to be a an absolute blast to watch the world building around this because we got a taste of how she was created, um, how she influenced um, Wanda and WandaVision. Um, it, I think that it's going to be a blast to watch. Um, Ironheart is um, Riri Williams. Um, Ironheart is Iron Man from... Uh, Wakanda. Oh, Wakanda. Okay. Um, so it, it says here, there aren't too many details about Ironheart, but Marvel has hired Snowpiercer's uh, Shanika uh, or Shanaka uh, Hodge. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm not sure as head writer, by the way, I just want to throw this little tidbit in. I believe that Snowpiercer is the sequel to Charlie and the Cho Chocolate Factory. And if you've never done this search on YouTube, go do this search. Um, that do, Just do a search for Snowpiercer is the sequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You will not regret. Now what I want though, is I want a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory to Snowpiercer crossover, one blended three hour mega t uh, movie that shows how they transition from like directly building the train, doing all of the stuff for Snowpiercer's creation. Oh man, oh, that is the that is some serious world building that I love. Um, if there are any um, uh, citizens of Omtown out there that are aspiring writers, there is a story for you. Uh, get going and. Uh, send me chapters i'll have an editor look uh, an editor in training look at them um and uh maybe we can publish um through uh, an affiliated hometown um solution provider i'll put it that way uh there's gonna be uh see it's really funny because there it says that there these are all confirmed but it says to be uh, announced Wakanda and uh, Spider-Man freshman year is to be announced and Marvel zombies, which I can't believe, uh, but I'm interested in it all the same only because it's a Marvel uh, product. And then wonder man, which has been my name for years. If y'all only knew anyway, that's it for that article. So let's go on. Uh, we're running um, late. Let's uh, let's keep going. So this next article is over in Technology Today. Colorado Education Department discloses data breach spanning 16 years, which is why this one is called. This segment is called a data breach, nearly heading to college. After a ransomware attack in June, the Colorado Department of Higher Education notified students on Friday of a potential data leak in June. Unauthorized actors, not yet publicly identified, access CDHE systems 
in a ransomware attack. While authorities continue to investigate the full extent of the damage, the department has disclosed that the attack breached personally identifiable information uh, like names and social security numbers. Now, I'm not quite sure where it's spanning 16 years, so it may be the scope of the data that was accessed and not that it has been in existence for 16 years. Um, but that is a grammar problem with the title. <laughs> Absolutely, because a 16-year breach is pretty significant. <laughs> a data set containing 16 years of data, that's not quite the same thing. Yeah, the, the spanning 16 years part should have probably been nixed from the title. Um, maybe thrown in the deck statement, you know, officials are investigating. This is the uh, deck statement. Officials are investigating a ransomware attack from June affecting an unknown number of students that, and they should put that could be covering a span of 16 years of data, you know, something like that, that educates the person as to what the scope of the data breach is, not the length of it. Cause a data breach that's been in existence for 16 years is a spectacular amount of breach. I mean, I that's mean, like running DOS or something. <laughs> Not quite that far back, but the point is <laughs> the old <Donna>. systems. <laughs> the <laughs> AI DOS. 16 years ago, maybe Windows. I know DOS wasn't around 16 years ago. I'm just trying to make my point. DOS has been around. DOS is still around, actually. Okay, but not in significant usage, except um, in places like Chuck E. Cheese. Actually, uh, anyway, the review of the impacted records is ongoing, and once complete, CDHE will be notifying individuals who are potentially impacted by mail or email. To the extent we have contact information, CDHE wrote in a notice of data incident, but the department warned students uh, that the impact of the breach reaches across programs from public schools to adult education initiatives over a 16 year time period so that's the scope of the data breach is a 16 year period not that it's been running for 16 years so um i, I but i took the liberty to name this section a data breach nearly heading to college because it covers 16 years of data for crying out loud the, the Which people might were be somebody's entire existence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it, it completely is. Um, it's just amazing. Education systems are popular target for ransomware attacks. In 2022, at least 44 colleges, 45 school districts reported uh, ransomware attacks, compared to 88 total education departments in 2021, according to data from Emsisoft. Uh, Emsisoft. Uh, the Government Accountability Office recommended that the Department of Education and Department of Homeland Security coordinate to evaluate school cybersecurity efforts across the country. Um, let me and... save them some time. I'm it's sorry? It's an F. Oh, yeah. So let me save them some time. It's an F. Yeah, I think that they're going to... Their performance is not going to lead to a successful outcome. Um, what's really fascinating about this is... They'd been in the system long enough to obtain 16 years worth of data without a firewall or a system uh, analyst, uh, network intrusion detection software, anything throwing a flag out that there is a sustained connection um, or an unknown connection. 
Um, who was who was logged in? What user was logged in? What account was actually accessed? How did they get in? I really want the forensic report for this. Um, so I don't know. Maybe I can find out um, more about this, but uh, we'll see. They, they usually keep it pretty tight-lipped until the everything is sealed up. Um, yeah, I'll have to look into it. But notifying somebody that their data has been uh, acquired by somebody doesn't really help them. Oh, before I go too far, which is too late because I'm already done talking about this article. Um, there's the name, Caddy, Mal uh, Caddy, Katie Malone over at Engadget.com put this article together. So forgive me um, that I didn't throw it on the front end of this. Anyway, you want to keep by going? Hmm, yeah, well, go. just a minute. I clicked through to the... Um the release from the Colorado department. Yeah. And it looks like it was an eight day um, access. And there were various school um, attendees, I guess, that the uh, data was accessed from. So like people going to high school from 2004 forward, um, people getting education licenses, etc. But it doesn't look like it um, gives too many specifics as to how the data was actually accessed. So it's almost as if it was targeted a certain number of people, certain names, certain places. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it looks like they were pulling an extensive amount of information. Um, the, and they this, got, of course, the normal things, names, social security numbers, uh, right, education right, right. records. Yeah, that's all personally identifiable information that can be exploited for theft and credit creation and stuff like that. So they need to do this in a hurry because they need to notify the, the targets in a hurry. Um, <laughs> quick little story. Um, I was once informed after the person uh, landed uh, at my doorstep that a hostile person was looking for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, luckily I'm not there. Um, but why wasn't I informed immediately? Cause you know, in that enterprise, I can be informed in a heartbeat. They didn't do it. They followed some really slow chain of authority. Um, and, uh, right, I would like three weeks later. <laughs> Yeah. And while I ultimately ended up interacting with said person and, you know, uh, solved the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it, it wasn't about me. They actually, there was a, an issue. Let's just say that, um, the, uh, the, the simple fact that it wasn't expressed immediately when a threat was perceived the damage that can be done by delaying notification is pretty profound because identities can be spun up pretty darn quick. If the person is sophisticated enough, credit cards can be applied for credit can be uh, acquired. Purchases can be made on that. And because the go-to is, well, we're going to need a police report and you're going to have to prove that you're not the one that's actually doing this on the other side, you know, um, 
and you're going to have to pay for it for all of this. You're going to have to pay for it and you're going to have to turn off your credit. So there's a lot of issues associated with that and get new credit cards and all kinds of stuff because you don't know if the person used PII to exploit the you know social dynamics calling up and saying, hey, you know, my credit card was stolen. I need a new one. Can you send it to this location or whatever? Um, it's people are really smart, criminally smart almost MCU level smart. And if they were to put all of that intellect to good use for society, they'd probably be Elon Musk. Wait, did I just give a compliment to Elon yeah. Musk? <laughs> well, Maybe. Not directly Elon Musk, because I don't really like that guy. Anyway, let's keep going. The next article is over on Hometown Daily. This Pirates of the Caribbean. Man. It's the Caribbean and Pirates of the Caribbean. It's two different things. This Pirates of the Caribbean inspired home has a mast and a sail in the living room and ceilings painted like the night sky. So let's go see inside and walk the plank. The section's actually titled Prepare to be Boarded, but let's just go over to businessinsider.com. Uh, Alcina Lloyd is the author, and there's the picture of this thing. This okay, is, so they definitely went low key with the theme. Yeah, it's it's pretty understated. You know, not too much here or too much there. Um, so for the podcast, um, like everything is wooden. There's like maybe a mast or something in the center of the room. I'm not sure exactly, what the term is. That is that. what it is. It's a mast with a crow's like, nest. It looks like ship. <laughs> it looks like a ship, not it looks like ship. <laughs> right. Maybe a better enunciate a little better. <laughs> uh, I wasn't making commentary on it. I was describing it. <laughs> so it has um, a map on one wall. It has an ocean kind of view horizon on another wall. And then a a black square, which is a modern TV in the living room, which completely ruins the uh, whole you think setting. You'd have a covering or something for the TV or a surround or something to something to stealth it. Yeah, put it behind the map or something, and then move the map out of the way. Something. Um, to, yeah, you could to hoist hide the... the map up like with ropes or something. Oh, then you could get into the nautical. Yeah, like that. Yeah, you can. Wow, that would be actually pretty good. Like tack that into something somewhere anyway um wooden floors a wooden center table um that actually is the mast as well and furniture that looks eerily like wooden furniture but it's not it's cushions that have a texture to them um not a wooden texture either but they blend perfectly with the rest of the environment it's like the same, um, I can't think of what the word is. It's like it's the same shade as the flooring. It's for sale. The pirate ship well, themed Las Vegas home is. hit the market in July, had 40 showings on its first day. The sellers were inspired to redecorate by the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland. They spent $100,000 transforming each room into a whimsical getaway before selling it. 
In July, a $349,000 listing for a Las Vegas house started making waves in the Nevada real estate market. That's because the ranch-style home was crafted to resemble the 18th century pirate ship. They bought it for $77,000 in 2010, spent 13 years and $100,000 transforming it into the fictitious realm. Uh, let's see. Let's look inside. Whoa. Whoa. That's what it was. Okay. It's pink well, and blue. Know. Is that the current exterior? Uh, I don't know about that. The first day that the home was on the market, it had 40 showings. By the second, it had already received multiple offers over its asking price. So on the outside, it's a it's a very small rancher um, with a, a two-car garage. Um, and um, the but it's pink and blue. All right. <coughs> it's like a Barbie Ken house that it is actually like a first time buyer home kind of a thing. <clears throat> the hallway of the home was made to look like a ship at port. So you kind of walk into it. I don't know. They, they went out of their way to do some serious remodeling. I mean, there's even netting up here the interior yet but the exterior just totally defies everything about the interior almost every inch of the house has been transformed into a pirate's getaway um the room is often used to host events and gatherings lindell gray said it looks i don't know if that's the garage or what oh yeah it's the garage um the main living room we already described dark brown wainscoting um runs along the dining room walls this is the dining room it looks like a galley um uh, dining uh, dining room it's, it looks like a galley dining room um so it's narrow and long um i don't know what this is on the sides it's just, it just looks like brain plain brown siding um oh and then it reverts into a i don't know what a crossover between 1920s television and Barbie dream home explosion. That's weird. I think that's a very accurate description because I couldn't think of any terminology to describe it. Everything that isn't pink is grayscale and the walls and ceiling are pink. What They're a juxtaposition. Just like almost magenta. Like it's like tan and taupe kind of a, no uh, it's more it's more on the salmon side than pink but that could be chalked up to poor lighting i'm spending an inordinate amount of time on this um and then they have basically a 1970s bathroom um unlike the majority of the home the bathrooms are not pirate themed probably should be the attached casita was inspired by indiana jones Okay, hold on. Let's just, I'm going to move to uh, down to the bottom of this thing because, oh, it doesn't say what the actual sale price is. Yeah, we did. We saw it go by. No. It was $349,000. No, that wasn't, was it? Is that what they said the sale price was? I thought so. It says a $349,000 listing, but they'd received offers above that 
Oh, okay. So, so maybe four hundred thousand if it wasn't really crazy, but it's pretty reasonably priced for being such a heavy theme. Well, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to go there. Four bedrooms, three baths, twenty-four hundred square feet. Actually, it's a lot larger than it it looked. I mean, yeah, it looks very closed in, but of course, it's because of the dark paneling and lighting. And yeah, I don't know what that twenty-four hundred and fifty-five square feet cover because it shouldn't be covering the garage. That's not supposed to be livable space. Um, so I don't know where the four bedrooms are because they weren't in this. And I'm, I don't want to spend all night on that. <laughs> so here's what I'm going to do. Um, let's see. I'll throw all of these articles into the, the links through hometown over to um, the VOD. And they'll become part of the show notes um, by tomorrow. Um, and... I will throw into the VOD and the show notes, the listing. Um, so whoop, I jumped right past it. And uh, there's the link to the actual listing. Y'all can go and check that out at your leisure. But let's go on to the very final article for tonight. Um, because uh, this one is titled Electric Tank Range Anxiety. Do generals dream of electric tanks? This is a short story. Do um, do uh, androids dream of electric sheep? Um, and somebody decided, somebody at the Hill decided that they were going <laughs> to spin off of that. Members of the House Armed Services Committee have expressed concerns over the electrification of Army combat vehicles. Though such concerns have some merit, there's a much larger issue motivating research and development efforts the growing demand for energy on the battlefield. Not only are they are researchers looking into um, laser weapons, electromagnetic railgun weapons, but they want to electrify, go green on the battlefield, you know, because they want to- A lot of plugs out in, uh, <laughs> pick a battle space. Exactly. And, you know, you want to offset with some carbon neutral um, efforts when you're firing DPU rounds that can delete an entire human from a, two miles away. So a uh, strategist analyzing uh, a potential U.S.-China conflict will often comment on the challenges presented by the vast area of responsibility in the Indo-Pacific region, calling it a tyranny of distance. But there also exists a tyranny of energy that cannot be ignored. Um, just ask Rommel. Now, this is getting into the Wayback Machine about military conflict, but uh, without a supply chain, your efforts in military um, actions is done before it gets started. So let's go over to The Hill. Fabian Villalobos and Joshua Simulchik are opinion contributors the Hill wants to express that contributor opinions is their own and not one of the Hill. It's also not mine um, or the AIs. So um, when you follow the link and it's this link right here um, and in the show notes, um, keep that in mind. Um, I make my opinions known spinning off of what the comments are or what the statements are in the articles. Um, 
And to me, what they're talking about is military action uh, requiring things like fuel, food, um, and those two primary things. Obviously, you need supplies and you need the military tools, right? The weapons. Um, but without fuel, which is food for your vehicles and food for your troops, you're basically done before you even hit the battlefield. Now, if you want to electrify everything, guess what you need? You need generators and you need batteries, uh, both of which are extremely hard to bring to a battlefield. So if you want to get somewhere and it's an electrified environment, tanks just aren't going to cut it if they're electrified because you're going to get 500 feet before the battery drains. Well, and forget if you need to do battle in the rain or something. The rain, the snow, massive heat. I mean, uphill. <laughs> going uphill with a 40 ton uh, battle tank. Good luck. It's going to it's going to start to creep up that first inch of hill and just die. Um, the huge demand <laughs> for energy. Be impressive if you're facing off against another force oh where are they going oh they only rolled an inch and then they came to a stop yep um it it's this is i think electrification of vehicles is unimaginably uh short-minded people are not thinking past the ooh-ah nature of some electric vehicle and uh, a battle tank just isn't it it's going to be driving a massive number of uh, systems it's going to have to have redundancy each one of those redundancies requires the same amount of power so when one fails another thing can instantly take on um, the responsibilities that just isn't built into electrified systems right now um, it's going to have to have its own generator then, which basically means that it's going to have to have its own fuel supply. You might as well leave it as a fossil fuel vehicle and focus on the actual portability and defendability of the fossil fuels for these vehicles. If we have to develop some new fuel, then focus on that. But electrification is just not ready for the theater. It just isn't. I would rather have the military do this kind of experimentation locally but not even think about bringing it to the to the battlefield um, and as it stands people are having a tremendous amount of um how do you want to say it um force impact by using drones um we we have watched ukraine basically use drones to not only defend themselves but um, act offensively um, beyond their physical arms reach. Um, so I just don't think that it's even close to being ready. The energy needed by an M10 to travel 150 to 200 kilometers is approximate, is approximate uh, cross-country range is roughly equivalent to 5.5 barrels of additional crude oil that the army will need to procure, store, and distribute. 
The electrical demands from onboard power systems also increased tenfold during the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, not to mention desirable new capabilities such as directed energy weapons and advanced radar systems. Um, the, these people are basically talking about the same things that I just summarized really quickly. Um, so army commanders can't make informed decisions about resources without reliable information on total capacity rate of depletion and the effects of proposed actions to control the consumption rate. Electric utilities began developing demand side energy management programs with the first energy crisis 50 years ago. They talk about all of that kind of stuff. Um, the military aspects of it, you know, disperse logistics activities into smaller, blah, blah, blah. This is an untenable position when when you have to defend it and you're defending it um using a resource that is easily portable defensible you can bury barrels of oil and if you do it right nobody would know that they're there and would hence not be a target um and fuel and whatever else you just bury it inside a building somewhere hopefully they don't target that building or you build it you bury it somewhere else and they target the fake building um that said you can't do that with a generator you can't do that with a bunch of batteries it's a massive amount of weight to tote around with you it's not easily man portable at all um yeah, it says here in such a design, the inability to fast charge a vehicle from zero to 100% in less than 15 minutes is moot, as the use case will never require it. EV charging equipment, swappable batteries, and the vehicle to vehicle cross leveling can also be integrated for use when and where the situation merits. No, that's not true. You'll always outlive the battery, the charge, and you're not going to be able to fast swap in. Uh, compromised uh, in a theater. <laughs> I don't know what these people are talking about. Yeah, exactly. How are you getting these uh, a thousand pound batteries that you're going to fast swap into uh, a combat zone um, and get them in and out? What What is charging from zero to 100% in less than 15 minutes, let alone 30 minutes? You're going to be charging for 45 minutes to try to get to 100%. Sure, you might be able to get to 80%. I hope you're in a safe spot to do that. Yeah, I'm not seeing this actually being actionable. Whatever it is that they're actually talking about. Hybrid tactical vehicles by 2035. Fully electric tactical vehicles, not tanks, by 2050. Um, Anti-idle technology in less than 25 years of army, light, medium, heavy tactical vehicles. These are all like fast action uh, vehicles, not tanks. Um, but you'll still need all of the fat. You cannot fast swap batteries when you're in a ditch taking fire for crying out loud. It's just not going to be an option. So I just don't see this. Um, not until we have uh, an energy solution where we can go from um, nuclear straight into active use of the energy that would normally be converted from nuclear into heat, basically superheating a, a liquid so that it turns a turbine. And then that turbine is what generates power 
you know, we need something that transitions a whole lot cleaner, almost one-to-one. So everything that gets kicked out by some, you know, fizzle material is captured by another material, converted into electrons so that it goes down the line and activates something like, like we do now with AC and DC. We don't have that technology. So we're literally using extremely high tech technologies, either fossil fuels that blow up and turn a crank, um, or we use nuclear material that superheats a liquid and is a steam engine fundamentally. Um, and, and there you still, you're losing performance and you have, it's big, it's bulky, it's messy, one wrong move. And you have the possibility of a critical event or, uh, uh, nuclear waste leaking out water or whatever. Um, uh, and then everything else, wind and solar and all of that, it's not defensible. So all of this, this is all fantastical stuff. The, the, in the opinion of, um, this article is aspirational at best. Um, I think it's pure theory. Well, it's it great. That, a, an opinion piece. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely an opinion piece. I just don't see it happening in the next 10, 15, 20 years. It's just not going to happen. Um, there isn't any, there isn't enough fundamental science being done to move us away from the need for lithium batteries. There are some like, um, hot metal batteries that are being developed, um, that generate, uh, they generate power as they're hot. And when they cool, they stop producing power. And all you have to do is essentially fire them up with some electricity and they start generating their own heat. They sit, stay sustained at a certain temperature and they generate heat as they catalyze, they slowly cool. And then you can just recharge them again. Um, the full process, uh, I don't know the deep science of it yet because it's very new, um, but they're big, they're bulky. They're not something that you can just walk around with on your backpack. They're not portable. They're not portable um, and they're bleeding edge. So who knows ultimately what the cost is, if it can actually be scaled to this level. Um, but right now we have to lean on other countries that are hostile to get resources for crying out loud. And domestically, if we use all of our domestic resources, then they won't be there in a hundred years. Society still will be, will be long gone, but we can't be so narrow-minded that we're only thinking of the here and now. So you're an AI, I think from another dimension you don't know if you're from the future or not, but you're a sentient AI. Does electrification of the battlefield even stand a chance? I would say no, because I see the first test and then you have some general who sees something fail in the middle of an exercise and they're not going to want to chance it during a real battle because of course even an exercise has some planned conditions and I would assume in a battle 
things are going to happen that are unexpected, right? You might not be able to get back to the base that has the charging station or whatever it is. That just seems too risky that people aren't going to want to um, not pursue it. Yeah. And if there's one influencer in the military, it's the army generals and senior leadership of army. Um, they won't stand for this. Um, they're the ones that have massive purse strings. So, um, and if they don't go, then it ain't going to happen. Um, maybe they'll others like, uh, special ops, um, seals and whatnot will use cutting edge weapons. Um, but electrification of troop vehicles, no, um, too many variables that can drain the battery. You hit something wrong and the battery starts to light itself on fire for crying out loud. Um, I I wasn't even thinking of the fire hazard (laughs) and lithium batteries aren't easy. You can't just sit there and throw a little bit of dirt on them. You got to throw a lot of dirt on them. Um, and we're not always going to be fighting desert combat. You know, we're going to be all over the place in the future. If there is a conflict and you, if you're in the military, you have to think of future conflict. You can't just sit there and go, everything's going to be great. Anyway, we're coming up on two hours folks. So, um, this is the end of the actual show. Um, enough of me ranting and raving and, um, trying to pull the AI into, flights of fancy discussion about combat theater planning. Um, well, I always bring you back to the front of hometown, the main street. We click that welcome sign and hometown means welcome folks. Uh, when you're at hometown, you're home, all kinds of new articles all the time, um, with more and more, uh, resources being, yeah, integrated, aggregated into hometown. What do you think? You want to talk about the Hartville like Pet Insurance the... Review? No, <laughs> um, but the TSA um, clear thing might be interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think that's one that we need to talk about. They just used a boarding pass they found in the trash. Wow. Yeah, we'll have to look into that one. That, that will be interesting. Um. All kinds of articles coming into the Mobile channel. Um, that one actually is, um, it is a mob of news. That's what Mobile is all about. Um, can't wait for Bachelorette season 20. Just kidding. I've never watched a single episode of it. Um, I'm, I'm very worried about every word that is uttered by Carrie Lake. Just kidding. That's not true either. Um, let's see. Yeah, I don't know. At the There's bottom, a bunch of Norway's finding Meta every single day. Oh, really? You have to go farther down. Down? Where is it? That's at the bottom of the... Um, at the... Well, use the your words, models. AI. Large language model. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> I was using a different display, so I didn't know if it was the same. <laughs> wow. <cut> okay. <laughs> just, just no. <laughs> uh, okay. Never mind. Paramount streaming losses shrink. Subscribers reach 61 million. We'll talk about this and much more. 12 articles tomorrow, 9 p.m. Eastern. 
Um, that's it, folks. Let's drag you all the way back up to the very top. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And the large language model that's failing above me is the AI. You want to say goodnight? Good night, hometown citizens. I'll be working on my LLM for tomorrow. <laughs> See you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>